0: I'm writing you to remind you that we should love one another. I'm sending Onesimus back to you and he comes with my own heart. I felt the necessity to write you appealing that you contend earnestly. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The exiles of Israel will return and the Lord himself will be king. invite you to stand. We're going to go through the book of Obadiah today. It's our last book in this series, Fistful of Scriptures. It's the shortest book in the Old Testament. It also is only one chapter. We're going to look at verses 15 down through 18. And so there's uh, a lot of interesting stuff in this book. Um, Most of it, honestly, not very comforting, but uh, sometimes we need a little reality check. And so I think that's what we're going to find this morning in, in the book of Obadiah. So starting with verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so, sh- so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. And the house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them. And there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Father, we just ask that uh, your word is open to us today, that you give us by your spirit insight and understanding and wisdom to know what truth you're conveying through these words, but also, God, give us the sense of submission that we can live this out. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. So you can have a seat. So um, not a comfortable thing, but I need to give you a deep confession. As I read through the book of Obadiah this week, I can tend to be judgmental. And some of you are going, yeah, Doreen's obviously like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, um, no big secret. I just have a tendency to judge. I honestly do. I, I literally did that this morning watching a Women's World Cup game before I came to church. And, and so this is what happens. I tend to look at people and situations and circumstances and, and, and just judge them, make a decision about them. It's not a character trait that I like to share and I don't enjoy it when people experience my judgmentalism. And the worst part is I know the truth of James 4.12. Listen to this. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? But I still find myself at times looking at how people act, what they look like, their circumstances, and I sometimes just label them guilty, which is really what James is writing about here. The Greek words he uses here are about separating people into categories Deciding for yourself is someone innocent or guilty. I also know that none of us stands innocent before God, that we're all in the same boat with that. I know the truth of Romans 3:23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But still at times I judge people. I take it upon myself to decide if they're innocent or guilty. Maybe not before God, but certainly before me. I look at them and go, You're guilty before me because of this. And that's a whole other layer of sin. Because when I do that, here's what I'm doing. I am actually putting myself in the position of God. I am saying I get to determine who is innocent and guilty based on what I see and what I know. And I think we all have a little bit of judgmentalism in us. At least I hope that I'm not the only one who struggles with this. Because if I am the only one that struggles with this, I'm going to get hurt as I speak these words, and you're going to get bored. So I hope that some of you actually struggle with this, whether it's people or behaviors. We tend to like to be able to categorize things. We tend to like to interpret people's intentions. Is it good or bad? Are they innocent or guilty? And I think it's probably one of the residual effects of the fall that we all have to deal with. It's the whole, you will be like God lie that Satan told Adam and Eve. And I also think that the truth of the book of Obadiah helps us actually move out of judgmentalism. It's not a comfortable truth. But if we embrace it, we can actually move from this place of judging others. And so the book of Obadiah is a reminder of the reality that God will judge all. God in his sovereign goodness will judge all the nations and all people in righteousness. And if you're like me, somebody who struggles with judging others, I think that by the time we're done going through the book of Obadiah this morning, you may actually see a way to scrape off that judgmentalism. You may actually see a way to step out of it and find freedom to live more fully in the kingdom of God instead of embracing the kingdom of self that says I must judge everyone. Before we get too deep into this, though, we gotta go through our study guide very quickly on the book of Obadiah. So I wanna walk through that. Remember, we asked some questions, right? So the author of the book of Obadiah was one of the minor prophets, and his name was Obadiah. We don't know a whole lot about him, mainly because we don't have an exact date of when this book was written. But the book, uh, the date of the book, is not really critical. So it was probably written either in the early 800s BC or in the mid 500s BC. So, so. The, the history lines up with one of those two dates being the writing date based on invasions of Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem falling, being conquered. Um, and so one of those two dates, I know it's a big gap, but, but the date, as I said, is not really critical to understanding this book, this brief little book of prophecy, because the prophecy deals with God pronouncing a future judgment on the nation of Edom. So Edom has joined the enemies of Israel in destroying Jerusalem and pillaging the city, just looting it and taking whatever they can. And here's the problem with that. The Edomites and the Israelites were family. So they were were definitely an estranged family, but family nonetheless. So the Edomites were descendants of Esau. Does everybody remember that name Esau, the son of Isaac? And the Israelites were the descendants of Jacob, the other son of Isaac. Jacob tricked Esau out of his birthright, and since then, the Edomites, who lived just south of Judah, have been in conflict with the Israelites. So the, the descendants of, of Esau and descendants of Jacob live next door to each other, and they don't like each other, and, and that, that friction all starts back in Genesis 25, in verse 19, It's really an interesting story. I invite you to to maybe check that out this afternoon. But Genesis 25, starting in verse 19, is the story of Esau and Jacob. And so this bad blood shows up in several places throughout the Old Testament. And it culminates here in the book of Obadiah. And basically, they've been neighbors for somewhere between 1,200 and 1,500 years. And they still hadn't found a way to get along. That um, doesn't make our family thanksgivings and all the junk that shows up there seems so bad now, does it? So because the Edomites already had an issue with the Israelites, Judah gets invaded and of course, what does Edom do? They say, hey, let's get in on this. So they jump in and they attack Israel along with the invading armies. So there's a historical background for you to understand what's going on in this book of prophecy, the book of Obadiah. And and God is judging Edom in this book. He's telling, he sent Obadiah to Edom and said, hey, tell them this is what's coming. And so he's judging them for several reasons. The first is because of their pride. And so think of pride as trusting in yourself rather than in God. Pride demands judgment from God because it's deceptive. Pride lies to us and tells us that we are sovereign over our own lives, which is not true of anyone who's ever lived. No one has absolute sovereignty over their lives. No one is in absolute control of their own life. No one is their own source. No one's their own salvation. But listen to the pride that shows up in Obadiah verse three. The pride of your heart has deceived you you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? See, the Edomites lived in a place called Petra. Has anybody ever heard of Petra? If you've ever gone to Israel, I'm sure it was on one of your sites to visit. But here's a picture of Petra, this fortified city that was carved into rock high up in the mountains. It was easy to defend. In short, the Edomites believed that they were untouchable because of their fortified location. And they took pride in their city, in its location, and in the fact that it was hard to get to. So hence the reference to them living in the clutch of the rock in a lofty dwelling. See, pride leads us to feel as if we are untouchable, that we can do what we want. And pride is a deceiving lie that says, along with Satan, you have no need of God and it always leads to disgrace. Listen to this verse in Proverbs 11, verse two. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, But but with the humble is wisdom. See, this gives us our first takeaway about the judgment of God. He will judge pride because it leads us out of his kingdom and into the kingdom of self. Now, if you're like me, and you struggle with judging others, you're actually struggling with pride. See, I can be thankful that God will judge my pride because in doing so, he's removing a major obstacle between me and living in his kingdom if I'll repent of my pride. So Edom is confronted with this idea that you think nothing can touch you. You think you're above it all. They have to be judged for that because where there's pride, salvation cannot come. Pride has to be overcome for life in the kingdom to come upon us. It's necessary for God to judge pride. But because by removing that pride, by judging that pride, he's inviting us to live in the kingdom, it's actually a reason for us to rejoice in God's judgment. Has anybody ever told you that? That when you hear that God will judge all people, including you, including me, that's cause to rejoice. It is cause to rejoice. Because in his judgment, he takes away the things like pride that keep us from living in his kingdom right now. And so that's the first thing that shows up and says, we're going to judge Edom for this. The next thing we see in Obadiah is that the Edomites were celebrating over the defeat of Israel. Listen to Obadiah 12. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune, do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. See, the Edomites gloated over the distress of Israel and took advantage of the situation by joining in their enemies' attacks and looting Israel by participating in the destruction of Jerusalem. When I make judgment my own instead of God's, it will almost always lead to me gloating over the misfortune of others. Almost always will lead to that, especially if I plant the the seed of a thought in my head that says, well, they deserved it. They brought it upon themselves. If I decide for some reason or another a person deserves the misfortune that's fallen on them, I'm actually stepping into judging them. And if God is the only righteous judge, then what right do I have to even think that someone got what they deserved when things go badly for them? What right do I have to that? See, here's what happened for the Edomites. They ignored Proverbs 24, 17, and 18. Listen to this. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Did you catch verse 18? Lest the Lord see it and be displeased. My rejoicing over the fall of others displeases God. My gloating over others who have stumbled displeases God. In short, it moves me from life in the kingdom of God where God's will is done and deeper into the kingdom of self where all I seek is my own will and as the body of Christ, as the church, we should not be rejoicing over the fall of our enemies. That's what Edom did, and they were judged. I want you to take a moment and think about this truth, but I want you to think about it in the context of things like politics and social issues. For me, in the context of sports, it has no place Anywhere in the life of a follower of Jesus who's living into the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I have work to do in all of those arenas as an apprentice of Jesus. Because it's so easy when people that stand against the faith, when people that stand against God, when people that stand against the church stumble and fall, it's so easy to look and gloat and be excited and point to ourselves and say, see, we were right. We were right, they're wrong. And yet that's the very thing Edom did. See, here's the thing. God brought the judgment of the other armies on Israel. He did that to correct them. They had fallen away. Edom had every right to say, look what God is doing to you. But they didn't. What they said was, ah, look what's happening to you. It serves us. We can't fall into that space as the church. So we've got these first two sins of Edom that God is judging. The first one is pride. Nothing nothing can touch us. We're not gonna fall. The second is gloating, standing over Israel and their misfortune and celebrating. Then we get to the third cause of judgment for Edom. It's in verse 16. Listen to this. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. See, here's what Edom did. They participated in the celebration over the fall of Jerusalem. Not only did they participate in it, but they went on to Mount Zion where God's temple, his holy place was. And they rejoiced that this place of God had fallen into the hands of the enemies of God's people. Into the hands of those nations who stand against God. In short, There was no reverence for God in Edom. We have to recognize this judgment will always come upon those who do not approach God with reverence. If you approach God casually, judgment will follow. So here's the three sins of Edom that are in the book of Obadiah the sins that are bringing judgment on them pride, it's the belief that they're sovereign and not God, nothing can touch us. We've made security in ourselves gloating, the belief that they have final authority over others. They can decide who's innocent or guilty, who's good or bad. And finally, casualness towards God. The belief that they did not need to respect or revere or fear God in any way, shape, or form. There is no way to soften or ignore the fact that God will judge. Judge. And that there will be wrath in his judgment. I'm sorry if that's uncomfortable for anybody. I'm sorry if that's not a message you want to hear. But the reason we have to hear it is the very example of Edom in the book of Obadiah. Now let me tell you this there's actually a way out from under God's judgment. It's repentance. I must repent of my judgmental attitude of taking the job of God and judging others. Every one of us must repent of judging others because only God is worthy of judging anyone. Remember James 4.12? As followers of Christ, we need to remember the words of Thomas Boston. Listen to this. Repentance is not the work of a day but of a lifetime. Oftentimes we say repentance is that thing I did in the moment when I accepted Christ. But I must walk in repentance as a lifestyle. I must walk in it so that my pride burns away and I can live more fully into the kingdom of God. I must walk in it so that the gloating that naturally comes up in me when I win and you lose burns away and I can walk more fully in the kingdom of God. I must live a lifestyle of repentance so that my reverence and my fear of God grows, respect for God grows more and more, deeper and deeper each day, so that I can live more fully into the kingdom of God. See, there's an invitation in Obadiah, and it's an invitation to live as Paul describes in Romans 12 18 to 21. And if I accept that invitation, not only will I find that the promise of God's judgment refines me and draws me into the life of his kingdom, but I actually may also draw others into that life in the kingdom. Listen to this in Romans 12, 18 to 21. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, you ready? Pick your feet up so your toes don't get stepped on. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. That verse is about a lifestyle. A lifestyle that doesn't include me judging anyone. On the contrary, it invites me to go in the opposite direction of judgment, which is to be at peace with everyone. See, here's the thing about judgment. It's usually a precursor to vengeance, which Paul makes clear is not my business. That's God's business. Obadiah makes it clear that vengeance is not my business. Listen to verse 15 of Obadiah. The day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. The day of judgment is the day of the Lord. It's not the day of me. By letting God judge and by letting God take vengeance for his name's sake, I am living into the kingdom principle that God is God and I am not. That's the foundation of the kingdom of God. You want to live in the kingdom of God? That's step one, lesson one. Constantly, eternally, and always remember that God is God, and I am not. Now, there's something else in this verse that we have to address, because some of you, I saw it in your eyes. You got a little excited when I read this. It's verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And I know some of you are like, yeah. Heap hot coals on their heads, that'll teach them. I just need you to tap the brakes a little bit. Because I want to tell you what that means. See, that phrase, heap hot coals on somebody's head, is actually a Hebrew expression that basically means, If you treat those who do evil to you well, they actually might face their own sins and repent. They too might lose their sinful pride, their judgmental gloating, and find reverence for God. And they may actually be saved. Do you see it? Do you see what happens when we take the lessons of Obadiah of Edom, and place them on our own lives, when we overcome evil with good, when we do good to those who hurt us, we are actually preaching the gospel to them. We're preaching it with kingdom actions, not just kingdom words. See, Obadiah is a statement of God's judgment. All of us will be judged. There's no way around it. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we're all gonna face the judgment seat of Christ. He's the only one who can judge. He will judge. He will judge each of us. Listen to this in Acts 17, 31. Because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, that's Jesus, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. If Jesus is resurrected, then there is assurance of judgment for all of us. If Jesus didn't rise, none of us will be judged and we should just throw a big party this afternoon and do whatever. But if he rose, if he did rise, there's no way around it. He will judge us, every one of us. He will judge us in righteousness. Now listen, The Greek word for uh, righteousness here conveys the Hebrew idea of judicial approval. In essence, a judge looking at someone and going, you're innocent, not guilty. And the sins of Edom that brought judgment from God were sins of relating to God. They did not view God as sovereign. They did not see God as the authority over their lives. And they did not revere and fear God they were not relating rightly to God. Philippians 3.9 tells us how to stand before God's righteous judgment, which again, all of us will face, listen to this, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, The only way to stand righteous before God and his righteous judgment is Jesus. It's the only way. His righteousness placed on me through faith will allow me to stand in what Obadiah calls the day of the Lord when I too will be judged just as Edom was. Because I have the same pride that the nation of Edom has. I gloat over the fall of others, the same way the nation of Edom did. I don't always revere and fear God and respect him the way I should, the same way the nation of Edom did. So God's judgment of Edom in the book of Obadiah is actually good news for someone like me who tends to be judgmental. But it's also good news for everyone Because knowing that God will judge all people just as he judged Edom can actually lead me to seeking the only one, Jesus Christ, who makes it possible for me to stand before God in that day of judgment. Are you seeing that? This is good news. The judgment of God against unrighteousness is good news. Because it helps you see the way out of the judgment of God. Jesus, the only righteous one, who places me in his righteousness when I place my faith in him. That's the good news of the book of Obadiah. But that's the good news of all scripture. Judgment is coming and God gives us a place to stand in that day in Jesus Christ. Don't delude yourselves and think that you've lived a life that's not worthy of judgment. You'll face it. We all will. We will stand before Christ and be judged. The question is, who am I going to stand in? Am I going to stand in myself and take the chance? Assume that I'm better than everybody else. The only flaw with that is even if I'm better than everybody else, I'm still not Christ. I'm not perfect. I've fallen short. Or am I just going to say, you know what, God, I know your judgment's coming. I know I'm worthy of wrath. I know that's what I deserve. So I will place myself in Christ now by faith so that when you look at me, what you see is his righteousness. And in that I can stand. But until I come to that place of that judgment, Lord, I'm going to stand in the judgment that you are offering to eat them and say, refine me, remove my pride, remove my tendency to judge others, remove my tendency to gloat over those who I perceive to be my enemies, remove my tendency to approach you casually, give me a deep sense of reverence and awe and respect of you so that I can live out the judgment that's coming here today in your kingdom now. And your judgment refines me. For those of us who are in Christ, the message of Obadiah is simple. God's judgment is a refiner's tool used on us. For those who are not in Christ, the message of Obadiah is simple. You will face God and will be judged. Whichever one of those two spots you're at today, just know that there's a message in here for you. The book of Obadiah offers something Those of us who are in Christ, we need to say, Lord, your judgment will refine me and I will accept it. Judge me harshly, Lord. Lift me up to you. Take away my pride and judge me in that. For those who aren't in Christ, you need to accept the fact that maybe your course of action is to say, I don't want to face that day of the Lord because I got nothing to stand on. I know me well enough to know. That I can't stand before a human judge, much less an almighty, perfect judge. So I better take care of that. You know, it's the first Sunday of the month and we do communion. We're going to get ready to take communion. I'm going to invite you to sit in this moment with Christ to face Jesus just as if you were facing his judgment throne. I want to let Philippians 3, 9 remind us that we will face the judgment of Christ. There's no way around that. And it's a reminder that when that day comes, the only safe place is found in Jesus. And it's a reminder that I have no righteousness of my own and that I am no different than Edom, no different than the children of Esau. I deserve judgment. It's a reminder that I can face the judgment of God because of the righteousness of Christ, his righteousness in me because of my faith in him. Philippians 3.10 is a reminder too. It's a reminder of what we live into as we take communion. Listen to this, verse 10 in Philippians 3. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering Becoming like him in his death. That's what we're doing at communion. We're saying, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to know the power of your resurrection. I want to share the sufferings. Because God, I got to be honest, when you start to take away my pride and my gloating and my casualness towards you, it hurts. And it's suffering. But I need to become like Jesus in his death which is death of self here, stand only in you. And so the bread of communion actually reminds us that Jesus suffered to the point of death so that I will be judged as righteous in him. The juice of communion reminds us that without the covering of his blood, I would have to stand before God's righteous judgment totally on my own. We know how that would end. Communion is a reminder that I can know him and I can actually live in the power of his resurrection.